0: You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and you are tuning in to my conversation with Rich Ward. Rich is the guitarist at the centre of two bands, Stuck, Mojo and Fozzy. He's a fascinating individual and a wonderful interview subject, so let's hear from him right now. Let's go. Hello, this is Rich. Hey Rich, Andy Mackay-Smith calling from uh, Queensland in Australia, sir. How are you? Oh
1: man, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for calling me.
0: No problems at all, mate. Sounds like you're out and about.
1: I am uh, just walking back from my meal back to the venue and I walked a long way around because there was the line in front of the b- building and I knew I was going to be talking to you so awesome. I knew I would get caught up chatting with some of the fans so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm taking the back cave route
0: awesome stuff mate all good mate all right well look I'll, I'll kick things off just in the interest of time for you so they can get back to relaxing before the show then and uh, mate I've been looking forward to this chat I've, I've got a you know
1: well, I've got as much time as you need, so there's no need to rush. I, I'm I'm an honoured to speak with you, so please don't feel like we have to rush because I've got I've got some time before the show. So take your time.
0: Excellent, mate. Well, I've got plenty of questions to ask you because, mate, I've been a fan of yours in particular and your guitar playing for, um, mate. I think it's close to twenty years now. Um, you've been. Oh, thank you. You've been producing some of the tastiest southern fried razor sharp riffage for. I think it's almost 30 years, if I could go back and count, since you first started recording. And, mate, the the track, and in particular the album Pig Walk, had a tremendous impact on me back in 1996 when I first heard it. And this was at a time when metal wasn't really, you know, it wasn't going all that well back then. But Stuck Mojo was certainly very hard to ignore. But these days, you're in partnership with Chris Jericho in Fozzie, and you've been doing that since the year 2000. Mate, you've got a new album out titled judas uh and i think it's released on october 13th here in australia um what can fans expect from the album mate well you know i think it is the natural
1: progression from uh do you want to start a war i mean there's lots of breadcrumbs that folks who have heard that record will say wow it's a you know, there's there's nice of uh, lots of nice, tasty morsels of riffs and big melodies and big harmony hook choruses. Uh, but at the same time, I think this album may have taken a little bit of a darker turn, which I think was something that um, we all felt just kind of personally that we were all in kind of looking for how to better connect with uh, these these new song ideas and and you know i mean i think all, all things considered this is you know in i think i think the, the best way to describe it is this record is a a real chance to look in the mirror uh, a lot of bands and songwriters like to externalize their life so they like to uh, try to look to uh, other people to kind of put their their faults and unfortunate choices in life and say, look what you've done to me. And this record is much more of a, oh boy, did I mess this up? Um, And I think it's kind of a refreshing perspective because um, as I said, you know, we have a tendency to, to kind of have a bit of a victim mentality in, in this day and age where everybody wants to project a, I've been put upon mindset. And we, you know, we wanted to to actually feel a little bit more empowered by saying, hey, if you want to become stronger, um, you're going to have to um, endure some pressure and some tension. Uh, people who live in anti-gravity environments, they, they never grow because if you're always looking to blame life on other people, uh, you'll never be able to walk out the other side of a stronger person. So I think those types of lyrical content has really taken this in a bit of a darker direction, which for me... As a, you know, as a guy who is really attracted to dark music, really was uh, pitching right into my sweet spot.
0: Sweet, mate. Yeah, uh, very comprehensive summary of the album, actually, and certainly agree that we are living in very interesting times. And uh, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons for people to do all sorts of silly things and uh, create reasons, if you like, for their disadvantage. So, no, I'm glad to hear that you're taking on a very uh, strong subject in 2017 uh, because I know it wouldn't be easy to sort of sit around and think about what the lyrical concepts would be. And, mate, did you contribute any of the lyrics to this album this time around or is it all Chris?
1: It is a real combination of myself, uh, the producer, Johnny Andrews, and Jericho. Uh, On previous records, it was primarily Chris and myself Um, on the lyrics, but on this record, we collaborated with a producer who, uh, unlike some of the other producers that we've worked with, the idea was to find someone who would have a seat at the table. So uh, we're, you know, some of the classic producers that I've worked with, and, you know, most notably Andy Sneap, and Andy Sneap is, he's an architect, so he likes to come in and really work with sounds and putting together something that that sonically uh really uh, becomes a nice complement to what you're creating whereas Johnny Andrews our new producer um is he's starting from scratch where he's really working with the lyrics and he's uh, as i said uh, he he has a seat at the table so um you know as we're we're creating these songs he's very much a part of the entire process and he has a very dark approach lyrically and a very dark approach melodically so it was a it was a perfect push for us to have one more voice uh really helping us to kind of realize the direction where this album needed to go in so it was very much a kind of a group effort
0: and in the press release that i received for the album chris states that judas is the band's best album ever do you think he's just being enthusiastic or do you agree with him I always leave that up for other people to say Um, I,
1: I, 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 you know, if someone said, put, put a hand grenade under my chin and said, say yes or no, uh, I would, I would (laughs) say yes, because I, I, you know, because I do believe that it it is a more complete idea. I think in previous records, we have amazing songs and um, left to our own devices You know, I'm a guitar player, so I'm catering to my guitar player inner fantasies and writing riffs and solos and, and I love, I I grew up on prog music and metal and so I like to represent some of those ideas. And sometimes you can, uh, be catering, uh, to your own palette, um, at the, uh, at the, at the, uh, at the peril of the song sometimes because it's always nice to let the song be in the driver's seat. So um, Johnny was very good um, at, at kind of being the coach of this process. And when I would say, hey, um, what do you think of this bridge section idea? He's, I love it. Um, let's, let's not settle there. Uh, I know, as a guitar player and as a riffer, that's where you would go. Let's try five or six other ideas, and it was so. It was much more of a. Um, uh, I mean, we we spent an hour. And a, I mean, excuse me. We had spent a year and a half on this album, so, and it wasn't everyday writing, but it was it was, go home, work for two weeks on some ideas, bring them to the studio. We would come in together and we do kind of a sit down and listening through material, and then we do some some work on it and then we would take a couple of weeks off and we would then go back and make changes based on some uh ideas that we had from those meetings and so we started doing what you would do kind of with a with a book and you have got a first draft and then you've got a second draft and a third draft some songs would be discarded new ideas would come up and so because we didn't have a a deadline on this record, it really allowed us to kind of explore lots of things. And I think through that process of not saying the first idea is the one, we're just going to go with this. I think it really allowed us to um, allow this album to self-select. You know, it, it was, it was a Darwinian process. Do you know what I mean? It was, a matter of songs yeah, it, totally, are winning yeah. and losing through it, through it, through attrition. You know. So uh, I was really. Uh, so with that being said, I um I'll let everyone else say what they think about the album. But uh, you know, as I said, gun to the head scenario. I would say that uh, it, it is, in a lot of ways, it is. It's a superior record to things we've done in the past.
0: Okay. Now, I mentioned I'm an old fan. So I've got to ask you some questions about Stuck Mojo. Are you you okay? I know we're here to talk about Fozzy, but are you you okay if I ask a few questions about Stuck Mojo? As far as I'm concerned, we're friends. We can talk about anything. Yeah, I'm I'm up for it. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, how how do you approach writing in Fozzy and with Chris compared to when you're in Stuck Mojo and working with Bonds?
1: Well, you know, you have to write for the voice. So... Um, you know, Chris is is a personality and he has uh, a signature style to his approach vocally. And, um, I have to be very mindful to write to his strengths and then hide his weaknesses the same way I did for Bones as well. If you think about, um, you know, if I'm Jimmy Page, I'm, you know, I'm writing for Zeppelin, I'm not writing the same as I would for the firm because, you know, you have, two masterclass vocalists who have very different approaches and have a, and their voices sound different and have a different range. And even though Jimmy Page has a style in the same way that, um, you know, Eddie Van Halen didn't write the same for Sammy Hagar as he did for David Lee Roth. Now we, we we can break that down and unpack it and, and dissect it and, and analyze it and come up with a bunch of different conclusions. But ultimately if you're the primary songwriter in a band, you will succeed um, if, if you don't ignore the fact that um, it is a team that goes on the field. And it's not just about you and your riffs and your desires to make this kind of record. You, you're a, this is a group effort. It's not singles tennis or golf. You will succeed or, or fail based on the efforts of the group. So when I'm working, I'm not writing drum parts that are out of the comfort zone of my longtime drumming partner, Frank Fonsere. And, and I think that's an important part. So when I'm constructing the, the, the meat and potatoes parts of the songs and, and, and creating demos, I'm working within the, the, the framework of knowing the, the, every nuance and detail of my partners that I'm writing for. And then when I give them their parts, I have to be open to making adjustments because uh, even though I know their sweet spots in their range, I know what type of vowel sounds that Chris is. When Chris sings, he has some vowel sounds that sound amazing and some that sound really good. So I'm, I'm always trying to steer towards the amazing side because that's what you do. When I write a guitar solo, I'm not trying to be Yngwie Malmsteen because I'd suck at being Yngwie Malmsteen. I'm good at being Rich Ward. So i 'm just going to try to be the best rich ward that I can and try not to drive on the wrong side of the road so and the same went for Bones, which was that i I recognized that he was never going to be uh this amazing uh technical rapper. he was much more of a personality vocalist, he was like a Henry Rollins you know or a, yeah absolutely. Uh, evan from from bi- yeah. bi- you know or Evan biohazard. from biohazard yeah. so i that's, I, I, so instead of like writing as if I was trying to create some type of old-school hip-hop, I was writing for what I felt best
0: suited him. My name is Andrew McKay-Smith, and you are listening to Scars and Guitars 10. on 4ZZZ. Do you get a lot of people ZDigital. like old-school, hardcore, stuck mojo fans that have crossed over into your work with Fozzy? I hope so.
1: You know, I, and I never fault anyone who doesn't. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of the lucky people who I have a career doing something that I'm so passionate about. And the fact that I get to go on tour and play guitar and make albums is something that I would have never have dreamt of when I was young. I just wanted to play guitar and find a group of guys and play at a pool party or play at a high school dance. I never even considered the, the idea that, there may be an opportunity to make albums and the fact that I was in one successful band and now I'm in another one, I don't, and because stylistically they're very different. um, I'm always very appreciative when folks carry over to the other band, but I've met people who say, Hey, I just don't like it as much. And um, I'm never critical or never feel weird about it because um, even Scorsese makes some films that old school Scorsese fans don't like. And I I just recognize that's just part of life. And I'm, you know, I'm 48 years old. I'm not the same guy who wrote pig walk. And even when I tried to recreate those attitudes and those, those energies that I had back then, it's still different because I'm just a different human. And I've experienced life through so many different prisms of, and experiences And my guitar playing's changed a little bit as well. Partially is because, uh, I'm now exposed myself to new influences and, um, and I practice obviously like all musicians, I'm practicing a couple of hours a day and I, I come across a, a new lick and a new feel. And so I'm trying to master that. And sometimes some old ideas kind of become left on the old playing field as I experiment and push in other directions. And so with all that said, um, you know, I, I always have this wish that I can make everyone happy because, you know, I, I've seen disappointed fans who have said, you know, I i don't like the new stuck mojo and I don't like Fozzie and why can't you just do rising and pig walk? And, you know, it, it bums me out because, you know, in life, you, you you want to please. We all have that desire um, in all of us who wants to make our wife or our husband happy and our children happy. And we, we all want to please. And yet all we can do is just put our best foot forward, work very hard and be dedicated and treat our fans with respect. And you hope that you can win them over. But if you can't, then you just have to keep moving forward and just let let that energy go.
0: When you were recording Pig Walk, what was it like working with Devin Townsend? And I ask that because I've only just finished reading his biography and he mentions working with you guys in the bio. And I had a good chat to him a few months ago as well. So, mate, what was it like working with Devin? Amazing. I mean, he's a genius. He's,
1: uh, uh, he's He has a, 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 a chaotic personality in all the right ways, you know, like I would imagine, you know, Sigmund Freud would have been and the way that Albert Einstein would have been or any just genius who just has a, an amazing way to tap into human psyche and 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 then marry that with a, a, a masterful of, uh, uh, you know, ownership of multiple different instruments and his voice and it was the first time I ever sat in a room with someone that I thought was just so much more talented than I was and i I was enamored with devin um, because I just uh, I saw him as someone who was fearless. he would do whatever he wanted to do and he didn't care what a record company executive said, and he didn't care what his fans said he just did what he felt he was what was natural for him and what he what his vision was musically, and and in working with him, he just encouraged me to do the same. So he wasn't trying to make a Devin Townsend record. He was just urging us to make the best Stuck Mojo record, and you know he just. Um, I think he was just almost like a life coach for me, because growing up I didn't really have any friends who were master musicians. I didn't really have anyone that. Uh, I met that was, I really considered just brilliant beyond brilliant um, as an artist. And he was the first one that I I had ever met. So uh, he really saved that record because we had Daniel Bergstrand who had uh, produced Destroy, Erase, Improved, Sugar record. And he was the primary producer on the record. And Devin was brought in to help us with um, uh, samples, textures, helping just kind of as a creative um, uh, guru for us to have someone extra in there because Daniel was going to be the technical side then Devin would be kind of the Rick Rubin of the project creative and guy, and, and, yeah. and Devin that's exactly right and Devin ended up taking over the process because he just has that personality I mean if he decided to be a politician you know he could he could do that and be successful because he he just has that personality that he's likable but he has integrity, and you, you know that. You know that what you get is the real deal.
0: I'm going to offer you a sincere compliment now. You possess one of the most incendiary guitar tones and techniques in modern metal. Um, yourself and a bloke called Josh Travis, actually from a band called Amour, actually are the two guitarists that I feel um, are worthy of dimes. Mantle, if you like, and I've been thinking that way about your playing ever since I heard Pig Walk, and your work on Rising only added to the view. Now your tone has certainly evolved over the years, but how has it evolved? And you mentioned, okay, obviously that you're not the same person as we all aren't that we now compared to 20 years ago. But what do you do differently now to say compared to say 20 years ago with regards to guitar playing? And I might add, I'm I'm a musician myself, so that's probably the reason why I'm prompted to ask the question.
1: I think part, and thank you, uh, thank you for saying so that I'm, I'm completely honored by you even mentioning my name, name in the same sentence as the great dime. I, um, uh, I think I, I started finding that I was enjoying the orchestral side and, and the, and the melodic and musical side of guitar as I started to get older. So whereas the rising and Pig pigwalk, were just brutal stacking of so it would be a les paul and a marshall recorded four times so it would be two in one speaker and two in the other of the exact same amp the exact same tuning the exact same guitar and i actually used the same amp and guitar on both rising and pig walk and obviously uh, the difference in tone that you would hear was through a different mixing desk and uh you know, just in, in the process of having different people involved in producing things, you, you know, you will have those little nuanced differences because obviously the tone is different on both those records, but, but the, it is the same fingerprint. And then on Declaration of a Headhunter, I started uh, layering guitars. So I wasn't just doing the layer of the same rhythm, but I was adding guitar, different guitars, second and third guitar parts. So I was starting to add melodic elements uh, along with the riff. And then over time, I started wanting to put a Telecaster through a Plexi in the left speaker. And then I wanted to put a Stratocaster through um, a Splawn uh, amplifier in the right speaker and then double a Les Paul with through a JCM 800 left and right. So I'd still have four, but so I think what ended up happening was I didn't have as much of a focused, brut- brutal, uh, because the, the, if you think about it, when you're stacking guitars and it's one amp and one guitar, you're just um, magnifying that thumbprint. Uh, so whatever the tonal profile is of that, that combination, you're just um, uh, amplifying those frequencies and that. So, But by using multiple guitars and multiple amps, you're actually widening the sound because those doubles, triples, and quadruple tracks, um, they, they land in a different frequency range. Um, and so I enjoy that. There is something to be said for, uh, and even on the, the most recent uh, Stuck Mojo record, uh, Here Come the Infidels, I actually experimented with going back to my original Uh, pig walk and rising formula where i was using one guitar and one amp and doubling some things quadruple tracking them so i was going a little bit further back to that on the new fozzy record i i didn't feel like that approach was as appropriate so i did go back to a little more texturing where there were more layers there was more uh different instruments uh different uh, pedals different amplifiers different speaker cabinets and different um and using combinations that suited suited the the vibe of the song so if something was was darker i would use a darker amp and if something wanted to be more aggressive and have a more uh, barking high mids i would use that approach so and that that partly came down to johnny Anderson, the producer who was much more of a producer's producers who liked to have the arsenal of 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 as they say, uh, the more uh, crayons in the box, the more colors that you have, <laughs> yeah. the 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 more vibrant a picture you can paint. So, you know, I I have forty plus guitars and you know twenty plus amps and cabinets, and so I like having lots of crayons to be able to to paint these big tapestries. And then if if it needs to be just a focused riff, then we can just pull out the old JCM eight hundred with a tube screamer in front of it, and. <laughs> And just let it rip, and and it all really comes. Yeah, let it rip, and it does come down to. That's the other thing that I always try to explain to people when they, when they you know say, "Wow, why does this sound different than this?" And sometimes it comes down to how difficult is the riff. Did I tour these songs? Because on Pig Walk and Rising, we were writing those those albums on the road. So we were playing those songs for weeks before we even went into the studio. And I don't mean just rehearsal. I mean, we had, we had, we were jamming these songs live at gigs. Like that's kind of an unheard of thing these days where you'd go see a band and they're playing three songs you've never even heard of before because they're playing songs that they're writing for a new record. And so on Pig Walk and Riding and Rising we were a band we were a band that was doing 250 shows a year and we were playing these shows these these new songs um and you know i think that's that's a, a a big a big factor in that as well is that a lot of the stuff that we're doing recording now the approach is different it's not four guys um who are trying to storm up the mountain with pitchforks and torches and try to you know, burn the whole place down because that's what Stuck Mojo was trying to do. We were kids who we literally wanted to to just leave scorched earth. Um, and we we had a motto back then, which was that we don't want to leave a mark; we want to leave a stain. Uh, and we just we really, I mean, and and part of it too was we were we were living like animals. We were poor. We were all of us living in a a, a ten by twenty concrete block building with no bathroom um, and we showered with the hose over a fence. Uh, And that's why we love being on tour because when we weren't on tour, we were were virtually homeless. Hmm. So at least on tour, we could sleep on the promoter's floor at his apartment or something. And that living in those conditions made us hard and it made us hungry. And when you live like that, your mentality is just different. And I think all of those things, I mean, I'm really a happy person right now. I'm married to the love of my life. I'm playing with Gosh, bandmates, yeah. but I get along I get along with my bandmates. I mean, Stuck Mojo, we didn't get along. I mean, there was cr- crazy creative tension. There was crazy personality conflicts that kept us like just on edge. And maybe that edge was, you know, I couldn't do it again. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to put myself under that. Those environments, but when you're 24 years old, you don't recognize that as unhealthy. You just recognize that I'm in a gang with three other guys, and our goal is every night is if we're on tour with Testament, one of the greatest thrash bands of all time. Our goal was to, to destroy them. Yeah, I mean we were. I mean we we toured with Pantera. It was Stuck Mojo, and and Pantera only two bands. I remember that. Yeah, and the first yeah, and the first show. Bill came up to us after the show and said, that will never happen again. And and what he meant was that we just went out and acted like we just were storming the beaches in Normandy. Hmm. Just, I mean, we, we just, we knew that Panther was the greatest heavy band on the planet and we were just going to, to put on the show performance of our life. And we, we were not going to walk away with second place and we didn't except for every other night of the tour because <laughs> they crushed us. But I, I think his point was to say, and he even recognized it was that there was something special about stuck Mojo at that point in our life. And, and it'll never be able to be recreated with me and those guys. Cause we're just different. It's that whole thing where people always say, God, I wish Metallica could do ride the lightning. It's like, Lars Ulrich has a swimming pool. Like, how, how, how could he identify with the anger and angst that he had, yes. you know, when totally. they were, totally they were young? Lance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's just a different, he's into painting. Like, you know, he's, he's this refined artist. And, you know, when he was a kid, he was not refined. He was an animal. And animals, that raw, that, that, that just unrefined uh, animal instinct creates brutality and it's um that's why in a lot of these early records from some of these artists they they just capture these these human elements that are just amazing and i actually think metallica could possibly be a better band now than they used to be it's just different and um i'm sure happy that there still is a metallica the same way i'm happy there still is a, a a rich ward playing in bands because i still love it and part of me wishes you know that Hey, I could relive the glory days, but I realized I'd probably, uh, I'd probably just drive the van straight into a tree and just end it (laughs) if I had to live under that kind of tension and stress and, and that kind of just environment, because it was just self-destructive.
0: Yeah. Mate. Stuck Mojo, along with Faith No More and Mr Bungle, have been credited by bands such as Korn and Limp Biscuit. And there's a whole heap of other new metal bands, actually, that credited you guys as a significant inspiration. And, of course, I know this is going back a away now, but it still inspires a lot of discourse if you go onto uh, forums such as uh, Blabbermouth and the like. Um, fans are very quick to react with an opinion. Do you hear your guitar playing and Bones' vocal style in those bands and indeed across the new metal genre? Um, probably not
1: I hear it more in some of the kind of other 90s bands you know um, and early 2000s bands uh, I think I think our influence on some of those bands was not so much in the exact fingerprints in, in the emulation of those things as, it, as much as it was conceptually the idea of Um, Because when I first heard um, Faith No More and I first heard Mother's Milk by the Chili Peppers, it was just it was almost like I can imagine when, you know, someone came up to women and told them, you guys can vote, (laughs) you know, like uh, it was so liberating to think of like, oh, you mean I don't have to sound like every other hair band from the 80s? You mean like you know again I, 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 it's and it's not it's it's probably a, a a poor comparison because we're talking about something so important as women's right to vote but in my in my 19 or 18 year old brain the way that i conceptualize things i mean remember when you're a kid these every little thing that you discover in life whether it was the first time you had sex or it was the first time you heard back in black by AC/DC or i heard screaming for vengeance by Judas Priest like all these seminal moments in my life, they, they meant so much. And now we, I trivialize these little things like, oh, I saw this band and I saw this, but through the, the, the young, inexperienced eyes and ears that I had at the time. And I think a lot of these people saw Stuck Mojo because I remember the first time I played in Los Angeles was a music conference. It was called Foundations Forum and it was in 1995. And there was a really big buzz about Stuck Mojo, and I remember I walked on stage, and on the front row was Doug Pennick from King's X, uh, Dino from Fear Factory, mm-hmm. and Devin Townsend. They were all in the front row, and and I just remember I must have done something because these are three of like the greats of of their genres, and they're standing in front of me, um, and I think that's the effect Stuck Mojo had was. The same thing. I mean, I don't think there were a lot of people in the 70s that really tried to copy Jimi Hendrix. I just think Jimi Hendrix was bold. He just did something unique and he was liberating in the same way that Devin Townsend was for me. And that he, they just said, you, you can be you, you can do your thing. Stuck Mojo walked on stage with two black guys and two white guys and did this metal riffing hybrid with some funk and soul and rap influences that had really not in that in that that kind of formula had ever been done before and i don't think it has been done like stuck mojo since uh, just because we're all unique and the players are individuals and we have our own
0: approach my name is andrew McCarthy. and you are listening to and scars and I, guitars I tried to on four uh, triple z z digital
1: Hale and i tried to copy randy rhodes i tried to copy zach wilde and i never sounded like any of them because those guys are, are un, uh, you know, you can never assimilate in, into what they do because they're so specific. They, they just have such a unique style. So I would say that our influence had way more to do with our impact on, um, on just, you know, I mean, we, we're, we played places that black musicians have never played before. I mean, we played many rock bars, and people always talk about racism. I don't ever believe theres I've never seen racism. I've never had anyone who thought weird about us because we had black people. It's just cultural. You know, if I was in, if I was in a, um, a, a reggae band and I was a white guy, and I walked in playing a guitar for a reggae band, and I came into a bar full of a bunch of Rastafarians, they just would look at me funny because it's just, what's this dude? Like you know, mm. people would just wonder because it's out of character, right? It yep. doesn't mean that they hate white people and hate white guitar players. It's just that when you're in some, you're immersing yourself in someone else's culture, it
0: it just makes you yeah, unique. It's not, it's not the I norm. Having, that's what it is. That it stands out. So that's why people that's sort exactly, of people pay yes. attention. That's what it is. Yeah.
1: Yes, you're exactly right, and that's why I think you know people always say, "Did you guys have experienced racism?" I was like, "No, we never experienced you know racism is when someone hates you just by the mere sight of of your you know your pigment or or, or your culture. I mean, no one ever hated us, you know because we had black eyes in the band they just it just didn't fit what they what their blueprint was they it just didn't compute, and I think in a lot of ways that helped a lot of other bands and be able to just be, like, as I said, just do do who you were. I wore a cowboy hat and bell bottoms and, you know, Bones came in with dicky shorts and dreads and um, we just, it was, you know, we had our thing and I'm... Yeah, I thought again, that was a was great a, juxtaposition, a,
0: juxtaposition, by the way. I love the fact that you both look so different. You both almost look like you'd met the morning before you got up on stage, but when you guys played together, it was very clear you'd been playing together for a very long time.
1: Thanks. And we kind of did. We we met working at Pizza Hut. We both had our you know five dollar an hour job. We were both trying to pay our bills, and we met each other like a lot of bands do. You meet each other just through social settings or work, and we came from he I never even knew anything about politics. My parents never spoke about politics at the dinner table or religion my parents were just um do well in school uh practice your guitar uh go to soccer practice it was all about the routine of life but there was never any f- philosophical conversations and bones was the first person that ever talked to me about social issues you know i remember one time he told me he's like you know the cia created aids to kill black people and i thought they did those sons of bitches <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't think that's correct, but it but no one's ever said it to me before, yeah, it's you know, first it's time like, you heard it, kids, yeah. you, know? yeah, it's like you know there was no internet, so I'm sure he heard it from somebody that he thought was smart, and you know back then, you know because it was pre internet, it was just about what you read in books and in, you know whatever cultural magazines were out at the time, and it was a great moment for just my personal exploration into. Um, learning about other cultures and learning that, you know, wow, the world is a big place full of big ideas. And uh, Stuck Mojo was a great laboratory to, um, you know, kind of discuss those ideas in ways. I mean, let's face it. We, we had a, we had a black front man who was um, talking about uh, topics that would be considered today kind of off the table. Like, you know, things about guns and things about, and not in a negative way. <clears throat> I mean, nowadays, everyone's talking about gun control and guns are evil. And here we had a black man with dreads talk talking about how he carries a gun and not in a thuggish way, but in a, in a, uh, in a way of um, just uh, the old American cowboy spirit. Uh, and it's just weird. Like, again, we were kids. So everything that we did, it was just, um, it, was, it was emotional outbursts into a microphone in in the way that you, you do when you're just um, you know, when you're in your late teens and early twenties and everything that you feel and every experience you have, you write it down on a pad of paper and we rock it out in the rehearsal space and we just start screaming it. And some of it, was real and some of it we turned out we listened to later and thought I can't believe we said that
0: (laughs) mate you're you're as good a person to ask as any and um, I think you're the first person from the US that I've actually spoken to since what happened in Las Vegas mate but what do you think is going to happen now in the states with um, gun reform and gun control after that horrific event
1: it's hard to say because we're in a reactionary period period of time, right? So we all just okay. So uh, jihadists fly airplanes into buildings. So now we have to stand in long lines and take our shoes off, and uh, you know uh, can't have liquids, and we can't do this. And so we just everything that happens, we just continue to react until the point where no one wants to travel because it takes you three hours to get through a line and i 'm um, kind of i 'm a, a classic liberal and in and in my philosophy and the way I see life is that um, you you can't um, you can 't avoid these types of of things and the, and uh, I think one of the things that we were kind of discussing kind of amongst us uh, on the bus uh, just the last couple of days was Um, You know, automatic weapons are illegal in the United States. You can't buy them. Uh, And but before 1986, you could. But we never had any of this stuff. There was there was never mass killings like this. There were very few. I think there was only one mass shooting in in the 70s. But we just didn't have these events. And but we had, you know, we've still had, you know, millions of guns on the streets and people carried. When I went to high school. Kids used to have their hunting rifle in their car. They'd have it in their back window of their truck. Like, guns is part of the American culture, but part of the American culture that has changed is is that we've become more violent. And I think that needs to be the conversation because, um, again, if you want to look at this not emotionally, but you want to look at it scientifically, what has changed? Because that's how you, de- you know, it's like we're looking at global warming or if we're looking at, uh, any big problem of the day we we can't just walk around and, and make big changes based on emotion we have to look at the data we have to break this down because that's what separates us from apes in a tree throwing crap at each other is that we can look at data and we can try to we can dissect this and we can really peel back the layers and uh, you know 70% of americans are on some type of mind altering uh, psychotic uh, psychotics drug, yeah. you know, that's uh, a big issue isn't it I, yeah.
0: I think that and and just to interrupt you mate but I think that and also to the advent of the internet and with the internet poor you know ideologies of any description can spread very quickly so people sort of live in these bubbles or yeah. these, these echo chambers or these vacuums I think you said earlier in the discussion and they develop their own yeah. ideas and thoughts and philosophies about these ideologies that are completely bullshit and harmful and Yes. What we saw yes. on—I mean—we don't know what this guy's motive was. This is a strange thing about this one. It's a horrendous event, but we just don't know what this arsehole's motive was. So, and it—and yeah. it's... It could—it could be none. It could be
1: none, right? It could just be—it could just be e- evil. And—and um, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, I—you I, know, I—I I, I look at religion in general as ideas, right? So I, I don't. I I never, when people start talking about Muslims or they start talking about Christians and I hate that kind of language because people are people, right? So I don't want to talk about Christians. We can talk about the ideas of Christianity. We can talk about the ideas of, of Islam because that, you know, those, those things can be, should be disgusting. And, and if, and if there's criticism that, that needs to be made, like when the Catholic church was covering up for, you know, the sex abuse um, we should criticize those 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 yeah, events. That's a big scandal um, here in Australia.
0: That one right now, actually. Yeah, I, 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 I read that. Yeah, I, massive. Yeah,
1: and and those are the things that we we need to. Um, but the idea that we need to somehow say that um, that all people of that religion, uh, obviously, that's unfair to characterize it. But I do I, I do I do agree with you one hundred percent. And the the collision of. Uh, psychotic drugs, uh, and the proliferation of those with the access. And, and also, I mean, I've never seen, uh, you know, you know, the idea of, of common sense that we used to have, or what's the common good that just, uh, presupposes that we have a common thing that, that ties us all together. So the idea is, I think we've become more and more divided. And I think the internet has played into that, um, and i think i think people in leadership positions like that because um ultimately it gives them a be, uh, a better position to vie for votes and and to reinforce the people who support them whether it be in uh financially or whether it comes through uh, votes and uh, you know I, that's why i I've, I've always been a classical liberal about this i think inherently the larger a government is uh, the worse it is for a society. And the reason is, is because government's just ultimately is power, right? So people loved uh, the fact that Barack Obama was a very powerful president and he was he had lots of executive actions and was able to exact a lot of change. And I always told my, my friends, it's like, you do realize that the pendulum always swings back and forth. And you like the idea of this big government now, but wait until somebody's in charge that you don't like. And now yes. we're there, yeah. and mm, yes, and now and now every yeah, now we're there, and now everyone's saying, "Oh my God, I can't believe he's got all this power." I was like, "You can't have it both ways. You, it's the power that's bad because if we live in a society where the president can say anything um, that he wants to, but we've 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 minimized his impact on our lives so much, it doesn't matter." You know, a hundred years ago, a president in the United States had very little impact because the, in in American uh, politics, the way our societies or our our you know we have the three branches of government, and the president doesn't set policy; he just signs it. So we have the lawmakers; they they write bills and they send it to the president. He can either sign it or he can veto it. That was that was what he did. Now we've, we've expanded his power so much that he has a great uh, amount of influence and effects on our lives, and it's our own fault because we play team sports. You bad, he's good. So if yeah, it's our just, guy, we don't so care. so
0: important, that point you have just raised there. I've been saying that for years, and I've held this thought for longer, but we follow political parties in the West like we follow football teams, don't we? You know, they've even got yeah, their own they colors. Do. They've even got their own colors. It's so yeah. obvious to me what's going on at times. There's no conspiracy theory. It's right in front of us, isn't it? You know, we're encouraged yes. to back a we're red or team. Simple.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 amazing, and and we always were willing to overlook. You know, when our guy does wrong, and we make excuses for him. You see it right now uh, with Trump. This you know I, I i just like to call you know, like an american baseball balls and strikes you do something good um yay you know if you do something bad it doesn't you know we we should call them out on it and i i think we we're so far gone down the rabbit hole now because as you said we've 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 now galvanized into separate teams i see it on on twitter i will not talk about politics on twitter because that is all it has come is people on one team it's people on one side of the road facing people on the other side of the road and they just throw rocks at each other and they call each other names when you can't win an argument you're you're you know you just say that they're a bad person and they call you a name and it's ah it's embarrassing and i i, I don't know if there are any solutions or if there's any way to go back uh the only thing that i think uh, we can do is people like you and i who um who um we don't get caught up in the idolatry of politics and that we we, we shouldn't ever lift up these people as if they're important. Yes. Um, the only thing important is is ideas.
0: Yes right? The yes, ideas spot on.
1: Are, yeah. are, are, are what
0: My name is Andrew Mackay Smith and you are listening to Scars and Guitars on Four Triple Z Z Digital. Welcome back from the break. You're listening to Scars and Guitars on Four Triple Z Z Digital. My name's Andrew Mackay Smith and I hope wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're doing really well. Let's get back to the conversation with Rich Ward, a.k.a. the Duke of Metal, the guitarist in Stuck Mojo, and also the Chris Jericho-led project, that's the wrestler guy, Fozzy. Here we go.
1: You know, and that's what we used to be. Our culture was based on ideas. But now we're not even allowed to talk about culture. We're not even allowed to talk about ideas. Well, you don't have your own ideas. You
0: you plug into somebody else's idea and you adopt it as your own. That's what you do. And then you become part of the team by doing that instead of going like, I think one of the the greatest periods of humanity was the US of A post the Civil War when the likes of Emerson, you know, that great uh, thinker Emerson. And I read so many of his quotes and and I think, man, that guy was plugged into something else and he had these wonderful ideas, and it's not just Emerson. There were plenty of others whose names obviously escaped me at this point in time. But, mate, it's really about having your own ideas and then testing them in civilization and, and doing things. And this is why I love talking to musicians and artists so much because I think that, you know, it's the musicians and artists effectively are free thinkers because to be creative, you have to be a free thinker, don't you?
1: Yeah, it, but it's a shame because we're moving away from that. Uh, all my friends who are, who are musicians... They they embraced Obama like a deity, and I was like, "He's done some great things, but we, but now that, you know, and, and truthfully, like anyone who really follows what's going on, um, uh, um, you know, it's 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 crazy. <laughs> I've got one of my crew guys coming up to me. I can't, I'm doing an interview. Yeah, so um, yeah, but I, I so let me get back on train of thought. So basically what I was just saying is just that I feel like they started to, to go on team sports now. And I'm like, you, you're supposed to be, you're, we're not supposed to lie. That's what I loved about Zach Wild one time told me that, um, uh, that he would, you know, he would never play the white house. And I was like, wow, seems like a great honor to do that. And he was like, no, He's like, I'm, I'm ne- even if I agree with someone, I'm not aligning myself with, a with, someone who uh, is the leader of some platform because I'm going to ultimately alienate 50% of my fan base who um wouldn't do that and and again it's great to talk about ideas i love that uh, you know so instead of talking about um you know trump and talking about and that's the easy stuff right i mean that's musicians you know, I, so it's just so simple. It's like throwing apples at a squirrel in your backyard. It's like, no, it doesn't matter about Trump. It doesn't matter about, um, it doesn't matter about Obama. It doesn't matter about Trudeau or Howard. It's, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about ideas and concepts. And if we can galvanize around people who have convictions and ideas, and we can start propping up people who, because, um, Trump, doesn't have any real convictions I mean, he's malleable you know he he hasn't thought any of these ideas through he's not a pro-gun or anti-gun exactly. he's not pro-abortion yeah. or anti-abortion yeah. he's never even thought he's never taken any time to really think about these things that's not never who he's been he's he's um you know he's a you know, and he he won because he's a reaction yeah. against eight years of ob of Obama calling people a racist if you disagreed with something. He so said, "I think he or was a reaction." His
0: yeah, his his whole election is a reaction to identity politics, in my view, and just regular working class you, people. You nailed it. Just going, I'm not dealing with there. You just this nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. You
1: nailed it. You much more eloquently than I said it. Yes, I, he was a reaction against identity politics because people like you said people have been marginalized uh on the fringes of society and and they they found their bully so they were just looking for a hammer and you know and Trump is a hammer sometimes he hits a nail and sometimes he hits a puppy <laughs> you know
0: <Yeah. laughs> it's just yeah and uh and they I were just think, looking for a hammer I don't think he understands the position that he's achieved, actually. You know, that. I genuinely don't think, when I look at him, I don't know anything about the man apart from what I read in the media and, of course, on a Wikipedia and all the rest of it. Never met him. I would never meet him. Of course, I would never be in a position to meet him. But um, I don't think he understands the mandate that he's been given by the American people because he, he was voted... He had a lot higher vote from the African-American community in the States than what Romney ever got. You know, people, actually, sure did, did. people actually did support him from different backgrounds, different cultural, different religious backgrounds and the like. And he's been given an opportunity in a lot of ways to recast the die. And I don't think he understands that that's what people want.
1: Yeah. And he's, you know, he's been quick to, you know, people say, oh God, he's, he's, he's you know, he, I, I honestly think that he just, he likes a good applause. Um, you know, he, I mean, honestly, think about it. I mean, he was, no one he, no one thought he had a chance then he said i want to build a wall everyone cheered he was like wow okay i'm going to say that again he says i'm going to build a wall and then all of a sudden they start you know they start building a platform against things but you know if you look at the things he said 10 years before that he was all for um ag- aggressive immigration numbers coming in and how it would help the economy and i I, I just think, as you said, I don't think he's thought these ideas through. I don't think he has any any core principles. Um, and I think he likes to put the win, W's in the win column. He wants to win, which is why when he couldn't get health care through and he couldn't get the tax cut thing through, what's the next thing he does? He goes for the applause line and tells – those asshole millionaire football players to get, get off the field if you're going to kneel for the, for the anthem. And, it, and that just stirs up his base, and they love that. It's red meat for them. But it allows him to have some breathing time while he, figure, while he figures out, hey, I, I, I'm, you know, I've alienated everyone in my party, I've alienated everyone in the other party,
0: and he's <laughs> essentially a lame duck president in his first year. Do you, um, th- do you think he's going to run his I, full I four-year yeah. course first term?
1: God, i have no idea it's just so unpredictable i just
0: um it's a no, weird situation you know, I mean, is it so bizarre
1: it is so bizarre because you can't predict it he he's he's so unpredictable that i i you know it is it is literally a okay let's just see how this goes i mean i have to admit there's been some things he's done that i was like oh okay it's not terrible um but the majority of things, I just can't get my head wrapped around because, you know, he has changed 180 degrees course. I mean, he's even backtracking on the wall now. Well, we'll get to that maybe down the road. It's like, again, when you have no principles, you, you will pretty much just, you're just a raft in the middle of the ocean uh, waiting around uh, with, with no course. And and he's, all the people who kind of brought him to power have all been fired so he has a whole new group of people in there. Um, and I'm sure that like most presidents, they are crafting the narrative and crafting uh, the agenda. And, but he's so unpredictable. He's will, he's liable to just swerve and, and do something completely different than their, you know, than what they're, uh, you know, kind of strategizing. So who knows? Uh, ultimately, um. Myself and my drummer, we we're really there's a few guys that we watch every day, some podcast stuff and there's some philosopher guys that I really like these days. I love Sam Harris and Stefan Molyneux and there's Oh yeah, great. What about Jordan um, Peterson?
0: His, You'd love Jordan Peterson. He's he's an Jordan
1: Peterson is the greatest. Mm. We we are in love with him. We we actually were watching him last night for like two hours. And I love them just because they're just they like to unpack ideas, and they're brilliant thinkers and they're and i I love to hear someone who is intellectually curious um, and there's so many of these guys now who are just classic liberals who um who are wary of power and uh, and I think a lot of them it's there's also this kind of new young atheist movement which is a uh, a pretty powerful young group of thinkers. Who What's Sam uh,
0: Harris has you know, really la- isn't it? Yeah,
1: God, he's so good. Hmm. And and also, I even like some of the, the uh, I even like some of the kind of conservative thinker guys um, uh, who are a little less libertarian, like uh, Ben Shapiro. But, I disagree with some things that he says, but I just think he's brilliant, he's and I like the way bloke. he constructs yeah. an argument. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm and so I. I try to immerse myself as many of these types of people who I don't always agree with, but I love the fact that they challenge the way that I think about things. And I, um, I'm not, you know, my IQ is, uh, you know, far below where they are, but it at least allows me to exercise. Oh, but you're a deep that thinker. And, you're a
0: thinker. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's so yeah. that's,
1: that's for me. And that's, and because we can't control politics. It's such a, it's become such a, I mean, now, I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't be out of the question for Oprah to be our next president. I mean, it's not out of the question. So yeah, the things yeah. for people like you, yeah, the thing for people like you and I to do is just to immerse ourselves in philosophy and in, in, in things that can help us, uh, become better in our own world and maybe affect, in a small way, some change of people that are in our circle of friends and help us to become just help our neighbors. And, uh, you know, because obviously all politics um, used to be local and it used to be all about building strong communities and building strong neighbors and relationships. And I think that's where America will have to, at some point, rebound into because it's really, I mean, we're getting we're, you know, it could be Mark Cuban and Oprah running together you know.
0: I've got to compliment you mate, you know, you're studying exactly what I've been saying amongst my own, you know group of mates here in Australia and in in, in my family, you know you are one of the guys that I think people should look up to and the reason for that okay is you've got an informed opinion on what's going on in the States at the moment, not just in the States but globally. Um, but you've got your own lane, and that lane is music, and you're giving a lot to society by playing music, mate. Do you, you understand what I mean? Like, So many people, mate, are walking around hitting brick walls in corporate roles and in jobs that they absolutely hate, who haven't been able to mine their creativity. Now, my, my own philosophy is that everybody is creative. You've just got to mine it. You've just got to find a way to get into it. Now, some people can be creative because they build cars, for example. Some people can be creative because they plough a field. Some people like you and I can be creative because we're into music. You know, I've, I've, I um, dabble in journalism and I do what I'm doing here now. And I'm also a musician is well. I play guitar and bass uh, in covers bands every weekend. Um, but you mate, you're doing it on a, on a global scale. So I've got to hand it to you. You know, you figured out your muse very early on and you stuck to your own lane. You know, you haven't deviated.
1: Well, and thank you for saying that it is, it's so hard too because again, uh, you know there's there's so much in our business, which obviously you and I are in the same business, there is so much pressure to assimilate. There's so much pressure to be uh, a follower because the industry encourages uh, there to be folks that just kind of stand in line uh, behind whatever trend is popular at the time and whatever the the current group think is. and uh, even though i've been I've been kind of silent on politics. Uh, uh, recently and part of it is just because it's um it's just it, it, you know the the amount of vitriol and hatred uh that people express for towards any unapproved ideas these days i i just don't I don't want to burn any calories arguing about it um i'd love to have conversations like you and i are having because they we can unpack it a little bit. You know, we're actually having a discussion as opposed yeah.
0: to... Yeah, we're sharing ideas. Stoop, yeah. ...stupid
1: little... That's exactly right. And we're, you're right. We're talking about ideas and um, and we're not just talking about legislation and because that's, you know, ultimately uh, civilizations uh, live and die based on ideas, not on a, on a law that could be overturned in five years if they find out that it didn't work.
0: Yeah. Mate, I bet you yeah, get back to your preparation for the show, but have you got time for one more question? Of course. Mate, what are you most proud of in your very long and distinguished career?
1: Um, Maybe just the fact that um, I'm still doing it uh, more than anything. I don't think there's one event. I mean, I've had some great moments, you know, like, you know, touring with Pantera and having Dime watch me every night from the side of the stage, encouraging me and nodding in approval and uh, having Zach Wilde who, uh, when I was younger, I saw him at a concert. We were at a Leonard Skinnerd concert together and uh, I saw him sitting by the sound desk and he went to the bathroom and I stalked him to the bathroom just to tell him how much I loved him and how much I looked up to him. And now, and now we are, we're kind of friends and he, has gifted me, uh, you know, guitars and we've become, I mean, just, you know, uh, there, there have been events like that that have blown me away. The fact that I've met people that I look up to and that are my heroes that now have said complimentary things about me. And that's nice because that's the, as a musician, it's kind of like, it's the equivalent of your mom telling you, you did good on the soccer field when you were 12, you know, you, you work hard, you practice, and you train for something, and it's nice to have someone that you look up to tell you that you've done good. So <coughs> that, that, um, that feedback is nice because sometimes, uh, sometimes when we're doing this as a musician, um, you're not always aware of if it's good or not because everything's so subjective. And when someone who has had a lot more success than you – Says, right on, good job. That, that is, means so much more than just about anything. And, but I think if I had to nail down one thing, I'm just really happy that I'm still doing this. That, uh, I have a lot of friends that are much more talented than I am, much better guitar players, and who have had a little bit of a flash and then the career ended prematurely and they 're now they 're back working a job or uh, doing something else out of music and so I think my greatest accomplishment is my ability to uh, just maintain uh, a place in this this business of music that I love so much
0: mm. i 'd also like to add your creativity i think is to be admired as well you 've produced excellent riffs over a very long period of time there 's very Mate, I think just about every riff you've got has got some got a very fine quality about it. And as I say, I've I've really the two albums that I've got and studied of yours intensely, um, uh, Pig Walk and and Rising, of course. And I know they're really on in, in your career, mate. And I have listened to a lot of your stuff that you've done through Fozzy as well. And I can certainly hear the evolution. But as I say, mate, I'll double back. I've certainly got to hand it to you for your creativity. It's excellent.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And I and I think. So I will double back and say, I am um, glad that I had someone like Devin Townsend who encouraged me early on because I was I was already fearless and I was already the kid who said I was not going to be like everybody else. But meeting somebody who was like-minded and who encouraged me to follow that path, uh, like Devin did, was a was a big deal. And the fact that he's such a big star now. Is uh, incredible, well earned. Very, very humble guy, too, though. But, uh, I've
0: met him a couple of times and he's oh, yes. I've spoken to him twice, actually, once in person and once over the phone for an interview like this. And he was a gentleman on both occasions. And the first time I met him was the late 90s when I was only a teenager. And uh, mate, he was as nice to me then as he was only recently. It's a measure of a man, I think, in that situation.
1: He, he, uh, absolutely. Because he doesn't, all the greats that I've ever met uh, have never felt a need boast or brag I mean uh, again all of the greats and I'll, I will just say the guys that I have got to know the best of my heroes in Zach and Don could not have been more humble guys in every scenario in every time we were together very self deprecating always the first to say somebody is better always the first to say uh, nah you know I appreciate you saying that but uh, the truth is as you look at uh, Al Demiola, they'll always point to somebody else who they will tell you is way better and and it was always such a magnetic position that they took which was to say I've had some success but in their minds uh, they're still living in the world that Tony Iommi and Richie Blackmore created for us and, and I have learned, uh, I, I've always had that same mindset but it's you know, it it definitely has been reinforced by those guys being quick to dismiss the uh, pat on the back for them and always be quick to say, hey, uh, did you hear screaming for vengeance? Because I'll never do something better than that. Uh, And and it's always nice. And I'm still a fanboy. I mean, every day before we go on stage, we just listen to music, usually some type of 70s or 80s, whether it's soul music or metal or something and just sing and dance and just soak in the joy of music. And, and I'm so lucky to play in a band today with Frank Fonsore, who I met in 1988. We went to see Metallica on the injustice for all tour together as friends before we were ever in a ba- band and, and Paul DeLeo, my bass player could be one of the best rock players uh, on the planet. And Billy Gray, I've known him since the mid '80s. He grew up in the same town of Charlotte, North Carolina, I did. He was the guitar hero of our city, and then of course Chris Jericho is. You know, I mean, is there a better entertainer? I mean, I, I put him next to, you know, I put him next to the greats. He's, you know, he he understands stagecraft and he knows how to front a band like nobody. So I'm really lucky, you know, that I'm I'm able to continue forward with people that i love and respect and that i enjoy being friends with and create with and uh you know, we're and i'm here in, in in pennsylvania in a packed room playing for people who <laughs> you know who, who paid a lot of money to come see me play i mean how blessed am i nice
0: well mate this has been unreal i want to thank you so much again uh for your time um, my privilege yeah i'd love to catch up with you when you guys come down to australia too, mate and share it or have a beer with you that'd be great
1: uh, listen that would be my privilege I, I know that we're trying to work that out right now so hopefully that becomes a reality uh, we haven't been in i think three or four years and uh, it would be really nice to come back and uh, Please, I'll take you up on that. We'll do part two of this conversation. And let's do it in person.
0: Man, that'd be awesome. No worries, mate. All right, all the best, and thank you very much again.
1: Yeah, listen, my privilege. I look forward to speaking with you
0: again in the future. Thank you, brother. No worries. Thanks, brother. Okay,
1: thank you. All right, you. talk to you soon. Bye.
0: You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my conversation with Rich Ward, the guitarist in Stuck Mojo and Fozzy. Thank you so much for listening.